You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Today, as many of you already know, is the first Sunday of Advent. It is the first Sunday of the Christian calendar, so we are starting a new year um, in our in our church and according to the Christian calendar of things. This also means that we are beginning an Advent sermon series, a four-week series that we'll be looking at leading up to Christmas, and it's called The Songs of Christmas. I know when I open my Bible, and I think this may be true of you as well, there's not musical notes um, written along the side, unless you have added them um, over time of reading them. But scripture is filled with songs. God's people sing regularly, and those songs are recorded for us in Scripture. And there is something about singing. I think all of us can acknowledge that when we sing words instead of reading them, they hit us differently. They sink into our hearts in a different way. And God's intended singing to be that way. That's part of the reason why we sing songs as we gather together for worship. And so over these four weeks, we're going to be looking at different songs of Christmas that God's people sang and that spoke to their hearts in very deep and profound ways. And it's our hope and and desire and prayer that that will be what happens for us as well as we look into these songs of Christmas through this Advent season and hear what God is doing and have those words sink more deeply into our hearts that we would be changed by the word of God. We have a great opportunity this morning to hear from one of our parish elders, a covenant partner, Justin Early, who will be preaching this morning. And as we prepare to hear his family read the scripture and hear God's word proclaimed, would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the start of a new year. Lord God, we thank you for the season of Advent, for the season of waiting as we look forward to your coming again to make all things new. Lord Jesus, we ask that in this time together now that you will open up our ears, that you will soften our hearts, and that we we will hear very clearly what you are saying to us and that we will respond fully to what you will invite us to do. Please bless Justin. Give him your words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a reading from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. This This is is the the word word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. About a year ago, a bunch of friends and I pooled our resources to buy 20 acres of undeveloped cheap land in Powhatan. The point was that we wanted to spend a lot of time on it, being outside together and camping with our kids, and this fall, we have done just that. So I've been out there a bunch of times with my four young boys, two of whom you heard read just now, and my wife, Lauren, to camp. And so here's the thing about camping with young children. You go outside to do all the things that you'd have to do anyway inside, but you just do them outside where it's a lot more difficult. (laughs) Things like, you know, getting the kids fed and washing up their small aluminum dishes and then getting them into warm PJs because it's 35 degrees outside and then the the sleeping bags. And here's the thing about camping, all right? I'm about to blow your mind. It gets dark, okay? (laughs) When you're in the woods, it gets really dark, which makes life really hard. Like all the things I just said, you know, they're difficult. But it's fun for me because it's an excuse to buy gear. (laughs) And it's fun for the boys because it's an excuse to play with hatchets and fire. It's fun for Lauren because she's a really good sport. But so you're doing all these things that are really difficult in the dark, and then I'm about to blow your mind for the second time already in this sermon. The other thing about the sun is that when it goes down, you don't just lose your source of light, you lose your source of heat. It gets cold, right? And have you ever tried to zip up the jacket of a squirming young toddler with gloves on? Like, it's so hard. (laughs) And being outside and and camping in the dark and the cold, you get like, well, you know, let's just go to bed. So you go to bed, and then you start to hear the noises of the wilderness, right? So uh, late October, camping there with our family, and Lauren and I lay down in the tent, and we started to hear the owls hooting which is kind of beautiful until you realize they are on the prowl for small woodland creatures to grab and tear apart with their claws. Like, the night is dangerous, right? And then we hear, literally, coyotes. All right, this is Powhatan, y'all. It's not that far away, but it's wild out there. Seriously, coyotes. And I'm thinking in my head, probably not big enough to carry off one of the children. Maybe the smallest. But he's pretty mean and feisty, so I think he'd actually win that fight, so he's got a good matchup there. And then about 3 a.m., I think, you know, you never quite know what time it is, we hear an enormous animal grunting and wheezing and crashing through the woods. And my wife is wide awake thinking fairly, this is a bear. And I'm like half asleep knowing, no, this is a big deer, but a really big one. And man, I wish I had bought my bow because I could have gotten that thing. <laughs> and, so this, and this is the night, all right? And what you realize when you go outside is that your whole built environment is carefully constructed to buffer you from the difficulties and the dangers of darkness. And when you get away from all the places in your life that are heated, that are lit, that are enclosed, you realize something fundamental about the dark, and that is when it comes, you are no longer in control. You are vulnerable, you are exposed, and all you can do is wait for the light. 
And that is the picture of the world that we are diving into here on the first Sunday of the church calendar year, the first Sunday of Advent. We're looking at this song in Isaiah and asking, what does it mean that the church for millennia has sung about being a people who wait and wander in the darkness, longing for the light? And we're going to look at that meditation, this song this morning in three parts, darkness, waiting, and light. So here's the first point, a meditation on darkness. Happy New Year. (laughs) We Christians kick off the new year talking not about resolutions and fireworks and celebrations, but about darkness. (laughs) That's kind of weird, right? Well, we are weird. Do you you guys know Austin, Texas? They have these bumper stickers that say, keep Austin weird. I kind of think Christians should have those. Because we we need like pins and signs to remind ourselves, we are kind of strange. I feel like I spent a lot of my high school and college life trying to prove to myself and the world that Christians were actually relatively normal people. The older I get, the more I'm like, yeah, that's never going to (laughs) happen. We're weird. And one of the ways that we are particularly weird is we kick off the new year a month before everybody else, talking about what it means to wander in the dark. But we do this for a reason, okay? We do this for a reason. It's because seasons matter. Seasons calibrate your sense of time, and your story of time calibrates something else more important, your heart. And I wonder if you've ever thought about that, that that actually your schedule in no small part determines your spirituality. So while the rest of the world, and, and I'm not trying to throw shade on the American calendar here, but just Just hear the reality, okay, because that's not neutral. If you just live according to the American calendar, you're going to kind of oscillate back and forth between celebrations of consumerism and buying things and celebrations of military victories and fighting and wars with a couple, like, playoffs and education events in between. And that's not neutral. That forms you in a certain kind of person expecting certain things. And Advent is way different. One of the things that we are trying to do in Christianity here at Third is actually to use the church calendar to disciple your heart into a much bigger story. And it begins in darkness. What does that mean? Well, theologically speaking, living in darkness is the way that the Bible over and over describes what it is like to be separated from God your King. So so the Bible is saying in many ways, and if you look at the verses through the Bible, this metaphor happens over and over. The Bible is saying what it is like for you and the world to be separated from its creator, it is like wandering in the darkness. The Proverbs call the way of the wicked the way of darkness. First Peter says that he has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Romans says the night is far gone, Paul writes. The day is at hand, so let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of of light. So you, you might be familiar with this category, right? That to live in the world is to live in a broken, fallen place, which is like groping in the darkness. If you're around Christianity, if you're around third, this may not be new news to you, okay? You may know that already. But Advent is trying to get you to feel it again. It is here to confront you with the question, you, what is it like for you to live and wander in the darkness of your life. What does that feel like? In September, we were hanging out at the land I told you about, and we were doing, like, all the kids were there. We were cooking food, and some of us were going to camp. And one of my friends who had brought his, like, 
three or four-year-old and one-year-old and wife, decided to head home about eight o'clock. He wasn't going to camp. So it's eight o'clock in like thick woods. It's dark, okay? And they set off with their headlamps. And by the way, headlamps with kids are great because, you know, they don't know how to use them, right? So like, they look you in the eye with them, and you're like, ah, it's blinding. <laughs> like, there's only this small cone of light. But nonetheless, they set off in the darkness to walk through the 20 acres of woods back to their car to go home. At 8.45, I'm sitting there, like, working something on the camp stove, and I see headlights bobbing in the woods. And I'm like, did anybody invite anybody else? They say, no. And I'm like, who is that? And sure enough, we see one dad headlamp, one wife headlamp, one three- or four-year-old headlamp, and hear the sound of a crying one-year-old. And, and these, this poor family has been like wandering corkscrews in the woods, not ever finding their car, and 45 minutes later, just ending up back where they started. As you can imagine, kids are past bedtime, and the marital union is not at its finest at a moment like this. <laughs> like, it's, it's awful, Okay. And fighting your way through cobwebs, stumbling over logs, sticks in your face with crying children. All, what I'm saying this morning, honestly, is isn't that a little bit what life actually feels like? Just wandering your way through darkness, trying to figure out, is there a way home and never really getting any there? I know that's depressing, but it's, it's kind of true. Like just to share from my life right now, for example, I'm in a phase where I run my own law practice, I've got four boys. I write some books on the side. I'm married to my wonderful wife, Lauren. She loves me. I love her. We have tons of friends and family in Richmond. And you might, hearing that from the outside, think, like, you know, what's wrong with this guy's life? Seems like it's going well. But no, actually, what it feels like, in my experience of the world, I imagine, is also what it feels like to live in your head and heart. And that is that life can often seem like just one unbroken string of frustrations and sufferings and problems. Like, I, I love my children, but being a, a parent of four young kids is often just like a string of sicknesses and discipline problems. And I love my wife, but it, marriage can often feel like just hearts circling each other in the darkness, never quite finding that connection you long for. I love my friends, but this stage of life can often feel like you're just walking farther and farther away from friendships that used to be close or that you used to have. I love running a small business, but I often lay awake at night wondering, like, where's the money coming from, you know, tomorrow? Um, and that's just my personal life, okay? Because then I look around, and I see in the decade and a half of my most formative years and my children's years, we've been through one great recession, unparalleled political division, many race riots, two impeachments, one pandemic, a fumbling stock market, and rumors of World War III. And I could go on. And I'm just I'm going to ask you, if you feel like I do, that life feels a lot like wandering in the darkness, just trying to find your way home, Advent is here for better or for worse to tell you it's because it is. It's because that's what life is like, actually. And my first application point this morning would just be to ask you this season to stop and try to admit that, to, ju to just pause and say, what, what are the beasts in the night that howl and keep your heart awake? 
And you, because we could talk about this in terms of, you know, the world, and, and we often do here at Third, and it's right. Advent can point you to the sufferings of the world. We could do a whole sermon on the battlefields of Ukraine, the drug cartels of Mexico, the brothels of India, the prisons of Western China, the mental illness epidemic right here in the United States. We could talk about the world that is shot through with suffering. But I think we do ourselves and our walk with God a disservice if we only know how to name the darkness out there and don't exactly practice confronting the ordinary sufferings and darkness that are in here, in this room. Advent is here to confront you with that and say, why spend all your time in the middle of the night trying to pretend it's not the night? Why not admit it and start looking for the light? So here's one practice for you this Advent for that. Again, remembering that your built environment is specifically constructed to protect you from darkness, so it is spiritually, right? You can spend this season binge-watching Netflix, spiking the eggnog, scrolling through Christmas movies, and try to avoid all the darkness that is in here and out there. But I would invite you, maybe once a week, maybe Sunday nights, just to spend some time confronting the dark. Maybe this is a walk in the dark without your phone. Maybe this is just turning off the screens and looking out the window into the darkness. The point is not really staring into the night so much as it is confronting the darkness in here. Pascal once wrote that all of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit alone in a quiet room with our thoughts. And one thing I would challenge you to do, like we sang in that song, in stillness, wait, and just confront the darkness. Because Advent is calling you not just to confront the darkness, but also to sit around and wait in it. Point two, waiting. Do you know how comfortable waiting is? Like, it's the worst. I, I wrote down some examples of waiting. I got on the wrong page of my notes, sorry. Wait, where is that? I'm just kidding, I didn't lose my place. But wasn't that awkward? Isn't that awful? Like five seconds of waiting on me and everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is so, waiting is awful. If you think of the places of waiting in your life, you will name some of the most soul-sucking realities there are. Let's start with the DMV, <laughs> right? Or like, and then go to Northern Virginia traffic or the pinwheel of death on your Mac computer that just like, you don't know when it's gonna go away, maybe never. Waiting is awful. Kids, waiting for your mom to come to the car. Moms waiting for kids to come to the car. Families waiting for dad's temper to calm down once everybody is in the car and on the way. Like, our life is filled with waiting and it is really, really uncomfortable. What an odd thing that Advent says this is a spiritual discipline. This is a spiritual discipline we're gonna practice this season because we're gonna confront the uncomfortable reality that you're not in control. And waiting is like the slap in the face of you're not in control, right? Just, again, think about the dissonance, the, the countercultural nature of Advent. The world starts the new year with all the resolutions about how we will get our life back under control by drinking a gallon of water a day and getting back into the gym three times a week and getting all your essential oils and meditating every morning and doing all the things and eating, right? And like all the ways you're going to control your life. And Advent says, no, actually, we're going to wait because this season is not about what you can do. It's about waiting what someone else will do. That is way different. And it is in the waiting that we start to learn to long 
for the light. That's why it's a spiritual discipline. But here are the errors, okay? Usually in our waiting, we're going to do one of two things, if you're like me, and I do both of these. You're either going to try to control the waiting away, or you're going to try to console your waiting away. So some of you know control first. Some of you know um, my wife, Lauren, recently tore her Achilles tendon by, wait for it, dancing at the church retreat. <laughs> um, and just quick pause, I am not paid to do this, but quick advertisement for the church retreat. It was so fun. Like, it was amazing. Everybody needs to go next year. And I'm saying, we got to do it again, because it was so much fun. Like, I can't think of any better testimony than saying, we came home with one less functioning Achilles tendon, and I would still do it again. Like, it was so fun. But, but, so we're in a bad spot right now, because my wife only has one working foot, and we have four boys. Okay? And apparently the recovery takes like three decades. So it's just like forever. <laughs> and by the way, this is like, God has a sense of humor because my wife has spent the better part of the last two years telling our children they are not allowed to ride their scooters indoors over and over. And now she has to get around the house on a little scooter that keeps her knee up. It's just like the greatest irony. And I make light of it because otherwise it's awful. <laughs> All the shared work that used to be, you know, ours, which is no small amount, is now basically mine. And, you know, who has it worse? I don't know, the person has to do it all or the person has to sit frustrated on the couch like, it's not being done right, you know? And, and I'm just like, my response to the chaos of this time has been to try to maniacally gain control over the smaller things. Like, I'm cleaning and organizing like a madman which doesn't make sense. I mean, yes, there's a lot of work. I got to get the boys ready and to bed and the lunch is made and all the things and it's easier organized, but something else is going on. It's this sense of like, maybe I can regain control and not just have to wait in this chaos. And the problem with that is not only that it's a farce because you're not in control. The problem is also that the life of control makes a brittle soul. And just last week, Lauren brought to me just a small correction, like something that I had done that fairly hurt her feelings. And instead of responding of like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I just blew up, like I just lost it. Because it was like in the fiction that I'm the Messiah, I couldn't handle the small realization that actually I'm not. And actually I cannot control away the waiting. Control makes a brittle soul. But then on the other hand, you've got being your own consolation, which doesn't work very well either. And there's some of this in all of us. There's definitely this in me. The question of this is, what do you do to try to calm your heart down in the night of your life? And, and specifically, I'd say, like, honestly, as awkward and vulnerable as it can be, just think for a minute with me. What is it you do when the sun goes down, when it's nighttime, and you're alone, and nobody's looking? What are you watching? What are you eating? What are you drinking or smoking or thinking about or fantasizing about? These things are the beasts of the night that haunt us. They are areas of sin that come in our waiting and say, here is your consolation. And the problem, y'all, the problem with going to control or consoling in the waiting in the darkness is that if you try to control away the waiting, you will miss the Messiah who is actually in control. And if you try to console away your waiting, you will miss the great consolation, the joy of the world that all these Christmas songs are about, 
Advent can be bleak as you talk about the night and the waiting, but here begins the good news. Listen carefully. The reason we practice waiting around in the darkness is because we believe that's where God is. That he is the kind of God who sent his son, a baby, to be born a spark of light in the darkness that will change everything. And over and over, think about this, because in Advent, we celebrate the incarnation, right? But over and over, the biblical story is about this. It is about the idea that God has not left you alone in your darkness. He has actually come to you. That the biblical story is not one where you have to climb out of your darkness and finally find God on the mountaintop of light. No, God is the kind of God who comes into your tent at night and says, don't worry, child, I am with you. And this is good news. This is what the story of the Bible is about. Have you ever thought about this? Like, this is the name of God. This is the kind of God that he is. How does God talk about himself in the Bible? He calls himself Yahweh, I am. And then we're told that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus says that the Holy Spirit who's sent to be with us is called the comforter. Just think about God. the name God has given himself is I am with you to comfort you. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. Because I don't know what your night is. I don't know what you're waiting around in, if your sufferings are ordinary like mine or extraordinary. But I do know this. They are not wasted. You are not spiritually wasting your time in the night because in your sufferings, in your brokenness, extraordinary or ordinary, in those places, that is where God has come to say, child, I am with you in the night. And the gospel is not just about your atonement, though it is. It's not just about our souls being resurrected into new life, though it is. It's not just about our process of sanctification, though it is. It's, it's also this beautiful, radical message that you are not alone in your difficulties. God has come to live with you in them in the person of Jesus. Amen? That is good news. A small application point I would give you for this is just to spend a season of Advent not looking at your phone while waiting. You might say, that's a weird, specific habit in the face of such an enormous miracle like the incarnation. But, but I'm serious. If you spend this season with me, and I've done this a couple years in a row now, refusing to look at your phone while waiting, you will recognize all the places in your life that are actually waiting. There's a lot of them. And you will be challenged not to try to control them away by getting off another email or not to try to console them away by zooming out on TikTok, but rather to face the radical spiritual claim of Advent, and that is that God might find you in your waiting. The the incarnation means, in part, that spiritually speaking, God is as present with you at stoplights in elevators and in grocery lines as he is in sermons and quiet times, that really he will find you in the ordinary suffering of your life. Let's practice being a people who look for him there. That night, um, we spent in the woods tossing and turning and listening to the deer or the bear, whoever you believe. (laughs) I woke up for like the 30th time and looked at my watch and it was 6.15 and it was that pre-dawn, just like silence and blackness. And then I heard some popping and cracking. 
that sounded distinctly human. And I opened my tent and looked outside, and I saw my eight-year-old son, Asher, crouching next to a flame, bringing a fire to life. And this, this moment was so beautiful for me in many ways, not the least of which was the, just the pride of a father seeing a son out. And it was like 35 degrees out in the pre-dawn cold and the courage and skill of him using the tools I had taught him to use to bring a fire to life. But there was also this greater beauty. And that was, I looked out of the tent and I saw a light in the darkness and it was a sign that the night was over. Brought to me by a child. Advent is not just this incredible miracle that Jesus has come to be with us in our sufferings, though it is. Advent is also this otherworldly promise that it is like, you need imagination to get your head around. It is this incredible promise that the Messiah has not just come, but he is coming again. And this time, it signals the end of night itself. This takes some imagination. So I would ask you and challenge you this season, become like a child again to see the story that Advent is promising. Becoming like a child again. Last, last week, my five-year-old, Coulter, called out from bed in the night, and I went in to help him. I said, Coulter, buddy, what's wrong? He said, I'm scared. I said, what are you scared of, buddy? He said, King Cobras. <laughs> I said, King Cobras? <laughs> Say, yeah, they might get me. I said, Coulter, good, good friend, sir, you might as well know the king cobra is a South Asian species. Very far from here, approximately 12,450 some miles. I think you're good. I didn't say that. Because <laughs> it wouldn't have helped. Because you as well as me know that children like you, me, and Coulter are not crying out in the middle of our nights for information. We're crying out for somebody to come in and be with us and tell us a better story of the world. And I'm not a truly veteran parent, but I've learned a few tricks. And one of them is that you gotta fight story with story. You gotta fight imagination with imagination. Coulter has spun up a narrative of the world where somehow it is possible that King Cobras might come into his room. So, before leaving that night, I told him a story. I said, Coulter, you know what I would do if a, king Col if, if, a, if a king cobra came into this room? He said, what? I said, I would sneak up behind that cobra. I would grab him by his tail. I'd spin him around until he's dizzy. I'd slam him against the wall and open the window and I'd throw him out and Coulter just starts cracking up. He loves this story. I've used it before with monsters of all kinds, like the me versus the monster and I win. And I leave Coulter giggling in his sheets, and I don't hear from him again that night because he slept in the peace of a better story. Advent is not just this incredible promise that you have a parent, God, who comes to be with you in your night, though it is, and that's beautiful. And just one more reminder, if you're, if you're sitting out there, adults, feeling like you're the child in the room alone at night calling out, but there aren't any parents anymore. You, Advent is here to say, no, no, no. You have, did you hear it in that passage? An everlasting father. You have a God who comes into your bed. Cry out to him, he is there. But the second story of Advent is this amazing thing that the God who comes to you comes with a better story 
a wildly different story of reality. And it is the end to all nights. Did you hear the words of the passage? A government on his shoulders, a reign of justice and righteousness, the weapons of war being thrown away once and for all. I mean, can your imagination handle the fairy tale of Advent? It is as wild as it is true. And you don't just need a good worldview to walk with Jesus. You actually need a sanctified imagination to believe in this otherworldly kingdom that will come. I read a quote last week by the poet Dana Joya. He said that if American faith has become mundane enough to be consumed by party politics, perhaps it's because the church has lost its imagination. Advent is here to work on your imagination. Because look, if you, if you live according to the world's calendar, yeah, you'll bounce back and forth from promises of consumerism messiahs that will finally buy you enough to make you happy, nationalistic messiahs that will promise you a false security, and some sports victories that, let's be honest, they never quite happen. These are lesser lights, lesser messiahs, and if we settle for them, then no wonder we spend our lives away on pornography and drugs, on doom scrolling and politicians. No wonder, because we don't have the imagination to hope for anything better. But Advent is here to tell you a much different story and say, imagine with me. Isaiah is saying, imagine with me a baby born a virgin birth, a crucified and resurrected Lord, a people, sinners washed in the blood of the Lamb, who will rise again with him, a story of the world that is fairy tale, fantastic and true. Can you believe it? Let Advent call you in to this greater story. When you see the lights and the tinsel, when you see the glitters, remember the lights are not the point, but they're pointing to the point, a light of a new day where in the words of Isaiah, if we were to translate them into now, you are being told to hope, Christian, in the dawn of a new day, where guns are melted into plows, where your mental illness and the mental illness of your teenager finally fades away to the ecstasy of the presence of God, where the eternal fighting with your spouse finally just seems silly and not important at all anymore, and you hold hands and take a walk on the streets of gold, laughing. This is the light of a new world where you are reconciled to your children again, where your back is better, where the cancer is gone. There are no more miscarriages. There's no more pain. There's no more death or dying because the king is here and it's a brand new world. Can you believe it? What time is it, Christian? It's nighttime, but God is with you and he's telling you a story where the night will end forever. If you are sitting here saying, that sounds lovely, I can't believe it, then let me just close by saying, well, tie yourself the Christian calendar. The the history, the tradition, the community, the songs we sing, the candles we light, the traditions we have, they have a point. Advent and the Christian calendar has a power to pull sinners into faith. Why? Because when you tie yourself to the Christian calendar, you tie yourself to something else, the church, the body of Christ himself. And we need each other to believe in miracles as big as Advent. So I'm gonna close here, not with another habit to give you, but rather with a communal experience of what is it like to believe this together. So we're gonna do the prayers of the people as the end of the sermon here. And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna say some lines and I want you to hear them as prayers. And then I'm gonna end with he is, 
and I want you to say with us. Let's practice. He is with us. Because we need each other to believe the truest miracles like the incarnation of the second coming. And we need the church to believe together that he is Bonhoeffer once wrote that the words of Christ are stronger in the mouth of your brother and sister. We need to hear a season of proclaiming together through songs and traditions that he is So I'm gonna invite the piano to start music. And I want you to hear these prayers. If you feel like the weight of night in your life, I want you to hear this season proclaiming that you are not alone in the dark, but rather he is So for those of you who feel the weight of sufferings, mental illness, or the ravages of cancer, miscarriages, or broken marriages, we proclaim together in this room, in this time, this Advent, that your sufferings are not wasted, but rather in them, he is with us. For those of you who feel alone, scared like a child in the dark, alone, we comfort you by saying God has not abandoned you to your night. He has come into your room. He is For those of you who feel too much doubt to believe that God could really be with you in this way, we say even more loudly on your behalf that he is with us. In a world of shaky stock markets and political foolishness, in a world of wars, of brothels, of prisons and sufferings, we yet proclaim that there is coming a mighty counselor to shoulder the government, a prince of peace. And we say in the waiting, even now still, he is Finally, for our neighbors who are watching, for our children who are listening, for a world that is waiting, we proclaim in this season a better story, one where a God who in the beginning, now and forever, he is with us. Would you stand and pray and sing with me the prayer that our Father taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.